Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And today, it's Justine's birthday! Hi, I'm Justine. Happy birthday, birthday, Justine! Happy Hi, birthday! Thanks, thanks. Yeah, uh, Gemini season! Woo! Uh, uh, yeah! Gemini supremacy! <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Mer, I recall you being a Taurus, but okay. Yeah, I, I'm not a Gemini, but I could say Gemini supremacy because I want to. Everybody loves Geminis. You love us, so you hate us. I personally love us. I don't know about you. I'm about half and half. Anyway, My mom's a well, Gemini. It's fitting. Yeah. So, what movies are we discussing today? I forgot. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I had the notes in front of me. I forgot, though. Today we are discussing Suspiria, uh, the 1977 version, and Black Swan from 2010. Ooh, these are some movies. Let's cut to the chase. Yeah. So <laughs> let's Suspiria. start with the production notes of Suspiria. Okay. So Suspiria was released in 1977. Mm. It was directed by Dario Argento, mm. who, if you don't know, is one of the big figureheads for the Italian slasher basic movement. So. Essentially, everything that was prior to Friday the 13th came from this dude. Like, Yeah, it came from him and his younger brother, Claudio. Yeah, they were the people to start the movement, and then America would adapt it into Friday the 13th and the common everyday slasher. Uh, where are the notes? Oh, there they are. Also, the <laughs> music was done by the band Goblin. Uh, they are a progressive rock band from Italy. Okay, they- I was going to ask, is that music... That was unlike yeah. anything I'd heard in a movie like that oh, at that time. Oh, they're so cool. It's such a cool, like, I really like the horror movies are sort of doing, like, this love affair with progressive rock bands. Like, I don't yeah. I don't get it. It's great. I love it. but And it makes sense, too. Mm-hmm. It made me think of the intro to Mandy yeah. when they oh. had when they had him do the full, like, guitar solo at the, in, at the intro. And this guy, or the band, has uh, teamed up with Argento multiple times. They've done the score for, like, three other movies as well. <laughs> Yeah, Goblin would later do the soundtrack for Dawn, the original Dawn of the Dead by George Romero. But I also have to say that this is probably the best noise album of 1977. Ah. <laughs> Truth. By default. Uh, it was one of the last movies to be made in Technicolor, for sure. Um, it was produced and written by Argento and his younger brother. It was based on the books Espirit de Profundis by Thomas de Quincey. Um, so... When Argento was making the movie, he was fascinated by the magic triangle, a point where three countries converge, uh, those three countries being France, Germany, and Switzerland. And this is when Rudolf Steiner, a controversial social reformer and occultist, founded an anthropocenic community? Yeah, I don't know how to say it. Anthroposophic. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That word. Uh, So anthroposophy... How do you fucking say that word? Anthroposophy. I think it's uh, anthroposophy. Anthro- yeah. Oh, very oh, fancy. It, it, so if you think about the word anthropocene, yeah. Anthropocene. <laughs> it's a fucking. It's a mouthful for sure. The. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> idea because it plays so heavily. Like the idea behind behind uh, this this philosophy is that it plays really heavily into the movie where. Like, the spiritual world is something that's physically tangible that you can actually, like, go there and experience it. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good uh, – it's interesting that they would bring this point up because the movie itself does that a lot where it blends – through use of color and sound and whatnot, it easily, like, creates something that would not normally be fantastical and mystical and makes it so. Right. Especially in scenes where it's – the danger is clearly ramping up. Like, you are in like in danger in these oh, scenes. Yeah. The color will change to, like, a purple or a blue and then like the use of sound and whatnot this this movie's all about atmosphere yeah he did they did a really specific job of making sets with the lighting that they needed to be able to create the mood and tension that they're trying to get in the in those scenes and something bad was going to happen and he even said that it was based off of stories like alice in wonderland where the colors were starting to distort and even with the lens that they were using they were starting to like morph the outside of the lens and make it blurry and kind of curve so it looks like you're looking through a fisheye lens mm-hmm. oh go ahead something i really liked was all the like nighttime scenes and the dark scenes he always used this deep green or red light that would just fill the whole space i always thought that was really interesting because like i don't know i feel like darkness is never enough on film to really like capture the mood of nighttime you know 
but having that red really kind of like adds that sort of eerie suspension like oh, it's kind of unsettling you know uh, a good a big point of like at least well going back onto like the use of color as well like what justine's talking about uh it was I, I would like, attribute it solely to because this was a Technicolor film. It made doing scenes like that a little bit easier because you're working with like three layers of color on top of each other. It's why like movies from that time look so colorful. Like if you go look at The Wizard of Oz or something on those lines, they really pop. Like all the colors in that movie pop, and they do in this one too. Yeah. Even and like and honestly, it's like it's. I would say that a lot of like our A24 movies and stuff are taking a lot of inspiration from books. Uh, not books. Well. Technically, yes, but no. But from this movie, Suspiria, just because they're focusing so much on atmosphere and like placement of symbology and things like that. Definitely the lighting from the Lighthouse. Was, yeah. It was one of the things that was a, a homage, or paid homage to Dario Argento's, um, the way that he would light the set, as well as the way that the cinematographer would usually do things in that sense. So it was really good. And I think they used the last Technicolor, um, like, machine that they would use for that in rome like that was the last machine there that they used and then they they like retired it after that the technicolor use in this movie is like mitch said it's it's just rampant because it uses like the old old style like how they do it but essentially what they were doing like they wanted to make the colors resemble snow white and the seven dwarves and then even so much that Susie, the character was based off snow white herself um but Argent, I mean, there was also use of miniatures. I don't know if you saw in the opening scene, the entire building is actually a miniature set when they actually drive up to it. I thought it wasn't real. I mean, I thought it was a real building, but it's not. Yeah. It's a miniature. Also, the cast for the movie was originally supposed to be 12-year-olds. Yeah, we were talking about that when we were watching the movie, actually. Because the, the female actors, they do act very childlike. Yeah. And it's like, he didn't <laughs> change the script at all for it. Mm-hmm. And he, like, even so, like, he made the doors specifically yeah like, that's exactly what i was gonna say like yeah, the, the, the handles, handles. So tall. yeah because yeah. he wanted the girls to just like actually reach up and do it feel small yeah but he realized if he casted 12 year olds for this movie it would get banned and just like destroyed yeah it's kind of gory for a children's movie if you ask me <laughs> yeah and also before like we really go into anything about like uh scenes and all that it had a box office of 1.43 million and it made 1.8 million in the new North America rentals. Um, also, another fun fact, really weird, but they also had all the actors speak in their native language, and they would have it dubbed. So you have French, you have German, you have English, and you have Swiss or is it? Uh, yeah, it Swedish. Was, yeah, Swedish. The, well, they did the. It was commonplace to do films like this in Italy for the American audience. So that they could understand what was doing it. So they just went to a studio and recorded all the audio afterwards, which is why it looks a little odd when you're watching it. Yeah, it's really cool, though, because yeah. this is like one of the only movies I know of where it's like the actor was or the actor Susie. She was saying like, yeah, basically, we would just say our lines in our native language. And it was just kind of like, I know what's supposed to be there, but I kind of just have to go off and just like this guy's speaking literal fucking French. <laughs> um, but yeah, the movie is fucking gory. That, okay, that opening, and then when she goes into oh, the look, fucking her face, house. like, pressed against the glass. I was like, oh, no. The whole, like, <laughs> the whole scene, like, with how the apartment looks, it's so fucking cool and, like, so colorful and just weird. I don't know. I don't it's know so where to even start. Could you imagine, like, dropping acid <laughs> and trying to get home in there? I would probably just sit in that lobby for a good 20 minutes i'd cry <laughs> i'd cry <laughs> where do we want to start with this because there's like there's just a lot of crazy ass scenes within suspiria i think maybe just going off of the important ones and whatnot will make the most amount of sense like one of the ones for me is like the heart stabbing scene like oh. for 77 that's like some that's some fucking gnarly shit for 77 like uh i thought I thought you were going to say, like, the intro scene where she basically gets hanged. Yeah, that's... Also, really, that's also brutal, (laughs) but, I mean, like, there's, like, that heart scene, there's the hanging scene, there's the razor wire scene. Right. Oh, yeah, where she falls into Mm -hmm. the pit of razor wire. Fucking 30 years before Saw. 
Yeah, if it um, falls falls into well, the thing is, the crazy thing about that is that it didn't need a whole. There should be shitloads of blood in that scene for like modern audiences, but there wasn't, and he just basically like fi- the director just fixed it by basically just elongating the scene, so you just kind of get that feeling of anguish that this character is going through. It's really great. It's the movie is like we are with the perspective of the American girl who moved all the way from New York to this fucking town just to be able to be a dancer within the dance studio. And then as she gets there, one of the prior students got banned recently and is just running for her life and just like speaking gibberish in the woods. And honestly, that scene where she's running in the woods is pretty terrifying. Yeah, could you imagine driving by and seeing that? I'm surprised how calm she stayed in the car with her driver. Like, I'd be like, yo, you see that too? I'd be like, yo, should we pick that chick up? Like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, like, she needs help. Pull over. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> then she later goes into the apartment, basically says, I can't explain anything to you, to my friend. And that's when, like, she sees the cat eyes and she goes through that entire scene, gets stabbed, like, seven or eight times. Mitch saying with the heart stabbing. like It's just such a slow stab at the beginning. It's like she's standing there in the light. It's very dramatic, theatrical. And you just see the arm come in very slowly and give her a stab. And then it does it like three more times before she finally falls down. It's so smooth. It's definitely unrealistic. Because, you know, if you were actually piercing human flesh, I mean, I'm just saying it probably wouldn't be so, like... I mean, there's a lot Bouncy. of layers you got to get through. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this movie... That entire intro sequence just reminds me of the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. How John fucking hates that movie. I I just I I'm a film major, so I watched it too many times. They made us watch it like four separate times. Yeah, but here's the thing: it's not about the movie or the plot. It's about the set piece. Well, yeah, it's it's like the ultimate piece of German expressionism during that time, and the set pieces were like the most elaborate things they'd ever made, like on film during yeah, that time. That entire apartment is just a callback to that fucking yeah. movie. Oh, but totally. In color. Yeah, that's true. Because because uh, the one you mentioned is in black and white, or like it's black it's and like white green and like and, blue. and like other like dark shades of color. They didn't really do a whole bunch of different like bright colors. This movie had that contrast to where it was using the brightness of the red from the blood and then any like weird decorations they had in the in the house. The whole thing looked like a set. Like you could yeah. tell it was built. Yeah, that that was incredible and like how you could see her face like slipping through the glass and then until it eventually fucking like she's hung. And that was like the intro to Suspiria that got everyone like, "Oh shit, this movie means business this is real and then it opens to this nice sunny scene there's this guy walking his dog going to school everything's cool right right yeah yeah <laughs> there's no fucking crazy witch cult doing crazy yeah, shit. not at this school come on come on <laughs> for a dancing movie this doesn't have a lot of dancing in it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mentioned that this movie just happens to be in a school whereas black swan was focused heavily around her dancing and the production that she's a part of so the, I mean, the main antagonists of this school are essentially like a witch cult. Three witches, yeah, in fact. A three witches, of hags, yeah, a few <laughs> hags, yeah. Well, there's like three of them, and then there's one more, and then they do like this brief info dump in like the middle of the movie, yeah. where they're like, "Yo, witches coven! If you cut off the head, they're all weak men." Yeah, and that's it. Whoa. That's that's literally it. And then she's like, "Okay, well, there might be Game witches." Time. Yeah, exactly. I also like um, the last time when we did a, an episode on we did our episode on Midsummer. Uh, Justine brought up the interesting idea of the threes being common in spellcasting and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Well, in this case, I would say the threes that are represented in the characters are, you know, you have the main character. What was her name? Uh, Susie. Susie. I would say she would represent the maiden. You know, she's young. She's pure. That's like the first part of it. Then the second part would be the mother, the more experienced one. I would say that's probably like the headmistress, not the directress, though. The directress would be the crone in this case. But mm-hmm. you see like how the three have their different power structures and roles that they play. There was that German woman who I thought was like one of the, she's like in between the, the she's not the grand master fucking, you know, <laughs> the directress, like, that one, <laughs> the directress. Yes. Who also makes that comment about, Oh, this guy, he's very ugly, isn't he? Uh, I was like, Oh, that's so rude. Like, roasted. He can't fucking hear me though. He only knows Hungarian. That was the meanest shit. She's like, it's fine. You can say it too. He doesn't understand you. I was like, oh, fuck. But he looked at her like exactly like he knew what she had just said, but he didn't say shit. I thought that dude was going to murder someone at some point. but He did. He's the murderer. He's the guy that stabs. Did I miss that part? Well, you could see it. How his, do you know? He, it's his outline. And all the stabbings. He is the guy that does the killings. 
I guess that makes sense because they're always asking him to do shit. So yeah. he's probably like, yeah. I was kind of under the impression that whoever was doing the killings was like some sort of shapeshifter. Because there was that scene where the blind man was That's being the killed. only one that he didn't do. Oh, okay, I was going to ask about that one. Because that was, you know, they had the gargoyle on top of a big monument that swooped down. And then the dog came up and bit him. So I kind of got the impression that they had some sort of shape-shifting thing going on. The crazy part about that scene is it's in, like, some giant Greek Colosseum-style thing. And it's so empty and there's nobody around. And it's just, like, super fucking scary. And, and the dude's obviously blind. And he's just like, who's there? Who the fuck's there? He's not hearing anything. He's just hearing the Goblin soundtrack fucking shit in his pants. And then <laughs> I look and I see the gargoyle's gone. I'm like, oh, shit, the gargoyle's coming through. But if you check really close, in the shadows, there are three witches on broomsticks. Uh, there's also, in the building behind him, you'll see eyes, like yellow eyes, show up. Oh, and three shit. sets of them show up, and they slide by. Yeah, so it was the third. Ooh, I missed that. I've actually noticed the eyes show up a lot in the scenes, just subtle moments. Uh, I think there was a scene that um, Susie's roommate, before she was about to be killed, she looked somewhere like out the window or out the door, and she saw a pair of yellow eyes. Or you could see them. It wasn't obvious that she was looking at them, but you could see them, you know? Or it was a pair of red eyes, something like that. But I noticed those pop up a lot throughout the scenes. Yeah, the thing is, like, the eyes, are they're just what, – what is that word when they're, like – just put over like the scene i'm trying to remember they did it in dracula when we saw dracula mm. they they embossed them they just embossed the eyes very lightly so you could get that feeling and then it's like super tension driving because the entire time that she gets sick there she's drugged with the wine that they give her because she's meek and she should be able to have wine because that helps red blood cells or whatever uh, I was so maybe I missed it, but was all the things like making them sleepy in that food or making her sleepy? It was in the wine. Yeah, it was yeah. in the wine, right? It yeah. was specifically the wine, I think, because I remember the doctor made a point of mentioning the wine. He asked her, like, "Oh, do you drink wine?" And I feel like anytime they they make a mention of something, it's always in that, you know. Right. So it was she was getting you know like basically knocked out every night, so she wouldn't be able to know what was going on. And that's when her friend Sarah is just like, the directors always leave always at 12 o'clock at night. And then she's like, she just happens to stay awake. And she's like, they don't go out that door. The door's over there to the left. They're going out on the right. On some Nancy Drew shit. Yeah. And she's like, what? What the fuck did you say? <laughs> like, and she's like, yeah, she's going out on the right. They don't leave the building. She's like, if they don't leave the building, then where do they go? And that's what puts Sarah on her investigation that like leads her to her, to her demise. And it was like, this was like a little bit after the maggot scene, which I thought was pretty creative. Oh, God. What do you think about the maggot scene, John? I didn't like it at all. I hate bugs. So I was just (laughs) watching it, like, cringing the whole time. And then, like, some of them fall in a girl's mouth, too, at some point. And she's flipping out. I would have flipped out, too. But also, she's combing her hair and pulls out the comb, and it's in the comb. (laughs) And that's when she flips, and they all run out and realize that there's rotting uh, food in the – what is the it? The attic. The attic. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're not them. allowed in the attic. Yeah, but like that place is huge. There's so many rooms and stuff that they just don't go into. Dude, I was I was just like so scared of this attic watching this movie. Obviously, I mean like just for like production notes, they did use grains of rice for the maggots, obviously, but <laughs> except for that shot with the actual maggots. For yeah, sure. where they look at the food rotting. Oh, dude, it was so intense. Yeah, it actually is real maggot sound, but, but the rest of them were just little sprinkles of rice. But when they Sarah on goes into the attic to like do get her snoop on, I was just like, there's so many fucking rooms. This em- this room is just like entirely void of anything. It's just like harrowing, I guess you could say. And then you finally see the ugly fucking German man do getting ready for that stab. He's like dressed in all black or whatever, just waiting, just cause. And then the barbed wire. I fucking love that. That was great because you get the impression that it's safe for her to jump down <laughs> because it's like, oh yeah, it's just like a nicely lit, like yellow, like yellowish room that you can drop down into. And she drops and then it changes to a dark blue and she falls right into the razor wire. That caught me by fucking surprise. I was like, oh shit, she fucking made it. I know. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? But I was just like, this is a horrible. And I was like, this is sick. This is probably what Saw watched to like. 
Oh, the, yeah. The directors of Saw. They made it even worse, too, by having a slightly open door right next oh, to the pit God. to, like, reach for so you could try to get out. But then again, I have that idea or, or that, like, thought in my head. Like, if I were watching this movie with a bunch of people and we're drinking, it's just like, did you not see the fucking barbed wire that's directly in front of you? And then she, uh, Sarah finally gets the sh- – or not Sarah, Susie. She gets the strength to actually check out why people are dying. And she wants to figure out, you know, after Sarah has the notes, like, I think she remembers what the girl said before she, like, went off into the woods. And it was, like, the blue lilies in the room turned to the right or something like that. Mm. So she finally goes into, like, the director's room and finds it. And she goes in there and she finds a lot of crazy shit. Basically, their uh, temple, the coven's temple. Ooh. Yeah, with corpses and shit in it and dead people. And then they see the three of them, like, demanding the death of some people. I got to say, man, the acting in this movie is really bad. Like, there's no good acting in this. The dialogue Uh, is kind of trash. Like, it's, like, that's the only part that is, like, really lacking in this movie. Otherwise, the spirit would be perfect. It's really really it. And, I mean, up to this point, she finds everything, you know, and this is, like, a huge lore dump at, like, the end of this movie. After you've gone through this whole nightmare of anxiety and everything. And she meets all these witches and then encounters, like, the head crone witch who tries to attack her and then just, like, stabs her in the neck. Dude, that head crone witch fucking thing was so sick. Yeah, Yeah, I was about to say that. That's probably one of my favorite scenes from the movie because she realizes that she's hiding. Like, kind of made herself almost invisible but whenever the lightning cracks you see an outline of her so she's like oh she's fucking right there and then just stabs her Mm. (laughs) right through the neck my favorite part when she's like okay the american girl is in my room now well you're gonna see the living dead and she brings back her fucking friend all disgusting and decaying she like rushes out screaming at her then she like she does the thing where she stabs her and basically all the fucking witches are broken they got the they took their batteries out. They're spinning and dying. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I mean it, it's pretty interesting. I'm melting. <laughs> it's, it, I don't know. It's pretty It's pretty cool how this movie ends because it ends in such a, such a, um, uh, like such a, like not like, it's such a finality to the ending of this movie. It's seriously like, all right, we're in this nightmare world. Nancy drew this shit up. Find the witch cult. Destroy that fucking witch cult. Now the whole place is blowing up. The nightmare is, like, destroying itself. And then when you leave, just like, you know, literally any nightmare ends, you leave feeling refreshed. Her face after she ends looks like, boo, I just walked out of, like, the salon. You know? Like, that's <laughs> her like, face. Yes, like, yes, girl, got the nails yeah. did, got the hair did, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, just blew up a coven, let's go. Girls, what's <laughs> up? Kill the Hashtag fun. lit. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> Kill the whole school fucking girls. You know what it is, cuz. I'm glad that Mitch mentioned how terrible the acting was, because I didn't like it either. Uh-oh. The only okay. thing I really liked about the movie was the way it looks and the way it sounds. Well, that's what they were going for. Yeah. So. That's, well, that's that's fully like the cinematographer and Dario Argento. Otherwise, uh, that was a shitty script. And they could have adapted it better from the original story, honestly. Okay. One thing I was going to say about the acting, though, is I feel like a lot of it has to do with the language barrier that was going on on yeah. the set. Because, you know, when you're acting, it has to be authentic for it to look good. And in order for it to be authentic, you kind of need to understand what the person is saying to really feel that, you know. And a lot of cases, you don't always understand what your co-star is saying. So, in a way, I feel like, yeah, that was kind of creating this sort of awkwardness between the dialogue exchange. I was going to say I agree with you. I was like... How can you, well, you can judge the acting, but can you really when there's other people in a studio dubbing over this shit? Well, the original intention wasn't to dub it. It got released in its original language in the country it was released in. So The, the people, dubbing was only for the American audience. But, but see, here's the thing, though. The, the, so maybe the American dub sucked and the okay. original one was all right. But here's the thing. <laughs> the, the American girl and the Swedish girl and the German girl, are they speaking their native languages or are they speaking Italian? Only the American actress spoke English. A few of them could only speak okay. like a little bit of English. There's that scene where she's like, you know what they say about people with S's? They're snakes. Or yeah. S- <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, it was it was so silly. Like, I was like, S- snakes. 
Oh, that was the God. one scene that got me kind of like, huh. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Like, you never Jesus. see that chick after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what happened? I was expecting her to be a main character. You know who she reminded me of? Nancy from The Craft. Yeah. And so I was expecting her to be like, maybe like a little witch bitch in the coven. But then she just disappears. Where'd, where'd Nancy go? Suspiria excels in its sound and visual aesthetic. It lacks in its script and story. But that's the point of it. It's not supposed to be making a big statement about it. It's supposed to just be, hey, you know what you guys can do with sound? You guys can make stuff anxious. Hey, you know what you can do with like scenes of fucking dread and horror? You can make that super colorful and super weird. It's just, it's kind of like an LSD trip, honestly. I mean, this use of color in this movie, I think, is uh, to contrast between like the normality of the world and then the like abnormal of the world. So a lot of times the color is there to say, Hey, this is like the fantastical part of the world that you have access to. This is where shit is crazy is on the other side basically. And so it's kind of like, it's a weird movie. It's trying to represent that, that there is something outside of our tangible world that we can have, that we have access to. And how creepy is that? We're also looking at the film through like a retrospect of after seeing so many horror films that came out like in the last recent years. When this movie came out, it was really good. And it was like the most violent, one of the most violent movies that came out during that time period. It makes sense. So it's like it makes sense for the time period it was made in and like the equipment and everything they were using. And so it was like this was like his cutting edge movie when it came out. (laughs) Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, positives to say when you look at it from like a historical context. Definitely, uh, if you're looking at it in the modern world, it's a it's definitely a good visual and like audio trip. I would say definitely worth a watch. Every review will tell you that it is a nightmare, and if, and if it's no, in a good way though. But at the same time, Argento is known for like just basically making the slasher movie genre with his brother. But Suspiria is what c- cemented him into the horror movie genre, like, uh, just, I guess you could say history. Suspiria was his, will be his biggest film. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if anything else really came close to that, even though he did make two other films that were, like, a trilogy yeah. for, this, for this film. So he was obsessed with the, the idea of a much larger story that was inspired from folklore and other things that he was learning about. And he became obsessed with the idea of occultism and witches and whatnot. And the those other movies, they like they're more of mystery slashers. You're trying to wonder who did it, and it, it's like Friday the Thirteenth, the original. Because when Jason's mom, when she does the killings, it's all from a fucking porn style point of view. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got the hands, you Murder, got the that's knife. Called p- you point got, of view. Shut point up. Of view. <laughs> POV. So porn. <laughs> Uh, porn of view. That's porn exactly of definitely view. not made it porn. It is not <laughs> porn of view. So I wanted to do it. Mur. I went with Mur. I I wanted to say it and I fucking went with it. All right. The porn oh, of man. view. Yeah, you just strapped on a GoPro and went to town. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, man? But yeah, it will it will it will it it will inspire other fucking fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> It'll sponsor other porn of views. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> hey i mean for modern audiences they're gonna be like yeah hey this is like that porn i watched you know what i mean when the killer comes in with the knife. that sounds scary you're gonna have like a vr version <laughs> of it i'm talking oh. about the Some virtual reality me. shit that's point of view i'm gonna God. shut up i'm gonna in shut my up. work <laughs> Yeah, man, maybe someone's into it. That's their uh, game. I think from they now on, they want to get on, hunted down by witches. Every time I want Mirzapam, she can be like, "Mir, what's your point of view?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. This is a great time to transition. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> we're we're done. Into we're done with Suspiria. We're on right. to a Black Swan. Yeah, a different point of view. <laughs> a different point of view. <laughs> Porn of views with Murr. <laughs> we you should make that a segment. <laughs> you, should have your, you just interview porn people or talk no, about just, your just in, uh, favorite ones. Review I don't know. like snuff films. Oh, oh my god! god. No. <laughs> so today I've been I've been uh, browsing the uh, B, looking at all the gore vids, and uh, yeah, you know, Reddit 50/50. <laughs> trying to get my porn of view. <laughs> god damn it! <laughs> no, but the, so the other movie was Black Swan. Yeah. 
came out in 2010. Uh, many Black, years later. Black Swan was released in 2010. Yes. Uh, ha- had a very low budget of $13 million, And at the box office, it made a lot of money back. $330.4 million. Uh, it stars Nat- uh, Natalie Portwoman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Natalie Portman. Uh, Vincent Port Cassell. <laughs> uh, Jackie from That 70s Show. And Barbara Hershey. I mean, Mila Kunis. <laughs> Shh. Don't oh, forget about Winona Ryder. Yeah. And don't forget her. about our waifu on Winona Ryder. I was going to give her the grandest intro and you guys ruined it. All right, right. Well, <laughs> all right, right, well now do it now. Okay, do okay it now. rewind. 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 The apex of everything that is black and dreadful. The love of my life. The one who I will literally steal earrings for. Winona Ryder. <laughs> I I gotta say I also love Winona Ryder. She she she's a great drunk actor. Dude, yeah. I felt like she was yes. just sloshed on stage, dude. She she wasn't she wasn't acting. She wasn't, <laughs> oh, she, I mean. wasn't, she was actually I sloshed. Know, like, oh, that's, that's so good. Method, you know, that's she just so shows good. up hammered. She's, to the fuck set. you guys! I fucking hate you. God. All right, let's roll. Let's roll. Was she not? She wasn't acting there. No, I read a bunch of stuff that said that she was drunk on set pretty regularly. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, which is pretty fucking funny because she was probably she only had a small part. She's like, I'm only I've only got five minutes yeah, of screen time, exactly. knocking them back. Yeah, I got it. It's like I'm known a writer. I fucking got it. <laughs> I'm known a writer riding with my homies. What? <laughs> She has the writer wait, posse. Wait, wait, wait. What was that thing that, that Natalie Portman's a thug? Do you remember that shit? <laughs> oh, yeah. Natalie Portman's yeah. a what? Yeah, I remember that one. She's like, say something good about the prequels, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. When did this happen? This was on, like, Saturday Night Live. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes oh, sense. man. Oh, All right. Anyway, so we've got Natalie Portman in Black Swan, and she's great. And so is Winona Ryder. She's great. I I think she was a good cast for this piece, especially because that she actually is like a dancer. Like she was a trained dancer. Um, fun fact, y'all. I I also am a dancer. Snaps, Woo! snaps all around. Educated all around. dancer. Yeah, I actually like go to college for this. I'm getting Academia. my degree. So, I mean, I know a few things. But yeah, it was cool to see her in this piece. But. You know, there's a lot of current controversy behind the castings for the film and some of the credit that was given and not given for oh, certain parts. Shit. Uh, so apparently Natalie Portman had a stunt double or a dance double body double. Body double thank yep. you. Who did all of the dancing, the very difficult parts for it, and she was not given proper credit when the movie came out. They would CGI her face over it. No, no, they no? would. The, so any cuts from the waist up would be Natalie Portman, and anything from the waist down would be the the double. Oh my god. Yeah, in all fairness, Natalie Portman did train really hard in ballet for about a year before filming to prepare for this role. So kudos to her for that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of controversy behind it because you know she did get uh, Natalie Portman got an award for her role in this movie and there's a lot of people speculating that she did not give the dancer credit because that could possibly put her award at jeopardy this makes sense because they were hiding that fact until after the award was given yeah on purpose yeah you know how hollywood likes to do things yeah oh god (laughs) i'm just i'm getting flashbacks of that time where they gave best picture to that one fucking movie and they're like "Wait, wait, wait, wait that was the wrong movie this is actually the winner and i was like oh god there's so much shit that's wrong with Oscars. Uh, right. But, like, it was pretty shady on their part. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's really a shame because it happens all too often in the industry is that dancers are everywhere in films and movies and music videos all over media, but they don't receive the proper credit for the work that they do. In this case, Black Swan, which is a really well-known movie, but everybody knows Natalie Portman's name, but does anybody know the name of the dancer? Nope. Uh, it's somewhere on our notes. <laughs> exactly. Point. That's my point. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. The ABT soloist Sarah Lane and Maria Rossetto. No one knows them. Yeah. But we, ABT, we recognize them. For those who aren't familiar with the ballet world, ABT, the American Ballet Theater, is kind of like the pinnacle of ballet in America right now. So if you're in that company, you're pretty much the best of the best when it comes to professional ballet dancers. So they're big deals. They should get credit for, you know, their roles. But anyways, 
Uh, the movie was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Ooh, yes. And who also directed The Fountain, The Wrestler, and Requiem for a Dream. Ooh, yes. I love that movie so much. Mm. 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 <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. It, it is a really good movie. Ugh, come in my pants every time I think about it. All right, anyway. <laughs> Such a good movie. Oh, this, this is so a psychological good. horror movie. And I honestly thought it wasn't at first. I thought there was outside forces that were dealing with um, with Natalie Port, uh, Port. Oh, like stuff was Portman happening Chip. to her? I thought, okay, in that intro scene where she d- dances the white swan with the demon inside of her dream, I thought there was an actual demon that was trying to get into the other on the other side of this world. So every time I saw a scratch, every time I saw a hallucination, I was like, oh, this dude is just trying to manifest himself. But it turns out it was her the entire time. She's the one scratching herself because she's so anxious because she gets yeah, the role. They make her a really unreliable narrator as you're watching it because at some point you think she murdered Mila Kunis's character and then you go yeah. back and she's not murdered. But then there's other stuff that happens in the film that you're not sure if she actually did it or not. She hallucinates about seeing her face and other people. Go ahead. Well, one thing I, I kind of really liked about this concept is I feel like it accurately represents <clears throat> the psychological strain that professional dancers go through when they take on these roles. Because, you know, when you do a ballet, you're performing this, say, eight times a week for a month, two months maybe. And when you perform, you it's not like you're just putting on a face as the character. When you perform as a character, you're fully embodying the role. And so these dancers have to, especially for a part like Black Swan, where you have to play both a really pure, innocent character, as well as a very evil and malicious character. It's uh, psychologically very straining. And in order to put yourself in this place, in order to be this person, you kind of have to embody this at all times. And it can make somebody go crazy, you know. Uh, a big a big point of Black Swan, were, like, there's a lot of ways to interpret this movie. You could interpret it as uh, the obsessive artist, like, destroying themselves in the process. You could interpret it as... Um, um, a transition from childhood to adulthood, you could interpret it like a loss of innocence if you want to look at it that way. Um, like, uh, there's another, uh, there's another. Uh, those are pretty much the only two actually that I can think of right now. No, that works. It actually yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, so that's part it's of like, like both of them. the first bit that I wanted to ask you guys about. So, essentially, the both the films they explore the idea of autonomy between the dancer as well as the main girl in Suspiria and how it's pretty much taken away at some aspect. Because either the director or her mom is trying to control what she's doing and how she looks and what they should be doing during that. So do you feel like this is what heavily affected like the narrative and kind of pushed forward this idea? Well, she wanted to be perfect. Like, the well, Black Swan, she wanted to be perfect. But the guy was basically saying perfection is not about control. It's about letting go. And so, like, there's a lot of that contrast. But what were you going to say, Mitch? I think one of the big ideas here is that one of the uh, ideas that's presented forth is that to be perfect is to also be imperfect in this in this sense of this movie so what ends up happening to our our white black swan here is she goes from being the white swan and everything to wanting to be the black swan so badly that she like overdoes it she goes through one whole night and explodes into this place with it could be an explosion into adulthood where she doesn't she just rushes into it without considering any of her own darkness the entire time that she's doing it which ends up causing her downfall uh, similar to the dance that I'm told, it's similar to the way that the narrative for the dance plays out. Yeah, so the story of Black Swan is essentially there are two sisters. There's Odile and Odette, and I believe Odile is the white swan. Odette is the black swan. Of Swan Lake. Of Swan Lake, yeah. Um, and so the story is basically the sister is jealous of the white swan, and the white swan is supposed to be betrothed to this prince, and... Uh, a sorcerer casts a spell on the white swan, causing her to turn into a swan. Sorry, the well, princess, now swan. And then her sister poses as her and ends up stealing the heart away from her betrothed. And she basically goes crazy, and the only way she can break the curse is through true love's kiss. And uh, I believe she does get kissed in the end, but eventually she decides to... It, it's just too much for her to bear, and she kills herself. Yeah, sad story. Yeah, it, there. It's a very sad story, but like her character does m- model after that within all the things within the movie. The self sacrifice, like with the guidance of in- innocence, she lives in a house that is complete, or her room is completely pink. 
She has a bunch of stuffed animals. Her mom treats her like she's 12. She has rules. She can't even lock her own door. She is uh, the perfect embodiment of the white swan. And so after she meets Mila Kunis' character, and then she delves into that thing, she has sex with the the white wolf uh, from (laughs) the Winter Soldier. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) What? No, that wasn't him, was it? That's fucking Bucky Barnes. Bucky Barnes was fucking Tom and Jerry. Tom Holy and she was Jerry. Shit. How did I miss that? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so Thor's jealous. No, I would be too. Shit, Natalie Portman but could get it. I wanted to talk about how important it is with the the sacrifice of art and the sacrifice of self for the betterment of art, because it mirrors the movie Whiplash super hard. And Mitch was going to talk about this, but we were basically You're talking about the the film about uh, roller derby, right? Whiplash, the Whiplash movie with the drummer. drummer. Oh, drummer. that's Whip it. Yeah. Whiplash. Whiplash is <laughs> what? So scratch that. <laughs> so these movies mirror each other in the fact that yeah. they both have something that they're striving to. The easy part is getting the part. Uh, within Whiplash, you had Miles, the drummer, trying to get the part to be in studio band. Within this movie, it was her trying to do the Black Swan dance. They both get their parts. That's the easy part. The hard part is earning those parts and perfecting it. Well, I mean, you do have to also know in Whiplash that that dude abused the fuck out of his students. Yeah, but here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Same with Black Swan. Yeah. The guy is the over. The director is a fucking sexual he's predator. He's a sexual predator. He fucking rapes people. He fucking manipulates them to do his own bidding for the betterment of the company. Uh, he fucking fucks like no other dude, always around just fucking things, asking people about their sex life, and he abuses them, essentially. But where Whiplash and Black Swan defer is that Whiplash, Miles, uh, that guy, he leaves the entire story. He quits music for, like, a short period of time. Within that time, he's able to get a new perspective and is able to come back harder than ever. With Black Swan, it's brutal because there is no pause. She has to make this part. She has to do this self-sacrifice. She has to stop her mom from controlling her life. And she has to become the black swan, literally, to win everything that she wants. And it's her turn. It's her turn to be uh, the part. Yeah. I like that line. It's my turn. And she stabs Mila Kunis. Oh, well, so we think. Stabs so herself. Black swan like um, has a lot of hard questions. Of one, it just like presents a lot of them, and one of the hardest, like one of the questions that it brings up is, how would a sex scene between Jack from that '70s show and uh, fucking Padme Amidala would look? And it's pretty fucking hot. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching this when it came out. I think I was like 13. I was like, yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that to put that, I mean, uh, John, your your original question for this was. So I have I have more points to say Go about ahead. that because it's it's well, they, her her wanting to become the black swan means a lot means a lot more and as far as like the falling from innocence well she's willing to go through a, an entire change of who she is to be able to get to that part it's so with like the the fall from innocence is I feel like. As a ballet dancer, there's sort of a certain image that's expected of you because you're in the public a lot, you know. And in most cases, you have to kind of keep this very cookie-cutter, pure image going on, you know. And a lot of people will end up growing up in the industry with that mentality that they have to present this image. Uh, However, there are exceptions when you're asked to play roles such as the Black Swan, which pretty much counter contradict all of these rules and regulations that you've been forced to live by your whole life you know so in a sense she's kind of working on this like internal struggle of breaking away from these patterns and habits that she's developed throughout her entire career it's not so i i I agree but i think that um a lot of it comes from her mother in this sense the mother is actively jealous of her career i'm pretty certain Uh, that her mother is like borderline personality disorder too uh, just judging her mother was a dancer yeah. yeah. Well, that's that. That's the big thing, though, is that her mother is a dancer, is jealous of her career. She actively tries to sabotage it with the cake, things like that. You know. Um, also, there's the idea oh. that potentially that sh- that uh, Natalie Portman's character, Nina, is it Nina? Yeah. yeah. Nina. Okay. Nina um, was sexually abused by her mother, and it's seen in like a bunch of different interactions where the the frosting on the finger scene really uncomfortable i don't know anybody else feel oh, really yeah. uncomfortable when they watch that or every time she tells her to take off her clothes 
all the time and she's super uncomfortable and with it. And then all of the portraits of her that she was painting. Now oh, that's a little creepy. I'm because just she just wants to be her so bad. And then there's another thing where you've got the, the sex scene, the sex scene that Murr's talking about, although might I mean, not have happened. <laughs> not, not that I don't think that it didn't. I just don't think that it is literally a sexual thing. I think that it is literally um, Mila Kunis's character trying so hard to be the white swan yeah. again. And then it is uh, Natalie Portman's character wanting to be the black swan so bad that they form into each other. The problem here is literally once once she has transitioned to the black swan, there is no way to go back. Once you have lost that innocence, you cannot go back to being the white swan anymore because you are literally you have already surpassed it. You've gone. You've moved so far away from it. Is the idea? I'm glad that you brought the mother up because it just reminded me of another thing about Whiplash. At the end of both of these movies, they are doing their hardest performance ever at the end of these movies they both look out in the crowd and they see their parent from far away the parents are mediocrity that is another driving force they don't want to become their parents in whiplash you have the lazy dad who just watches tv or watches movies and, and teaches kids out of high school miles doesn't want to be anywhere near that in black swan you have the mother who was also a failed dancer who was trying to sabotage her daughter at any point they don't that's another driving force for them to act so hard and just to try to just get rid of everything that isn't a part of their craft. It's also not that her mother was a failed dancer, but that she had to give up her career because she got pregnant with her daughter. And she, she blames then, it on her. Yeah, she blames it on her, and she also forced her daughter into dance. I feel almost as like a punishment, sort of like, you did this to me, now you have to continue my legacy, basically. Dude, it was so fucked up. She's like, well, you, you should have been a better dancer. She's like, I would if I didn't have you. I was like, yo, who the fuck? Yeah, that was really heavy dialogue. So that was something that I... I thought of when I was watching it was that the dialogue was really good. And as far as her and her mom goes, even right. with some of the scenes where uh, she's talking to other dancers and whatnot. Or like Winona Ryder. Yeah. Winona Ryder was just like complete agony and anguish when she just, but like, you can't even be sure if she actually did walk into the, the street and get hit by a car on purpose. Cause she just wanted the attention back. And the dude was sexually abusing her obviously like the oh, yeah. whole time that she was like the lead on any of the things that he was choosing yeah, it's, it's and then to get like prince. replaced like that it's... yeah he's so creepy about it he's calling her a little princess so it's like it's it's really weird because what they do through the whole film is they make all of the women unreliable narrators because of something that one of the dudes has done to them because of the world they're living in in both movies we have an american coming to the frame and changing up the embodiment of the work that that is given in black swan Mila Kunis, uh, sorry, Mila Kunis is everything that Natalie Port, uh, Portman isn't. She is sleek. She is sexy. She has the flow. She's laughing while she's dancing. She is not precise in perfe uh, perfection. She is loose and like just like she embodies water. I guess you could say she just flows. And it's ironic because as a dancer, that's something that a lot of people really look for when they cast dancers. Is like perfection? Not perfection, but flow in the right. movement. And flow comes from movement away from that precision because you have to move to the precision to get to that point, but then you also have to move away from it, which is really challenging for a lot of people to grasp. My question to you is, is replacement dancers are always a thing, right? Oh, yeah. No, that's really commonplace. And in most cases, the person who's replacing you is probably just as good as you are. And that's why they're your understudy, because they can handle your part. So that, that's the thing. We also have the threat of mediocrity from the parents. And we have the immediate threat, just like in Whiplash with the, the seat chairs. Yeah. The threat of a replacement brings you fear and anxiety to your role. So thus you work harder and sacrifice more. Yeah. Yeah, and she, that's like the ultimate fear for her is that she will not be able to do the part. That's and the that only part she wants be to better. do. Yeah. It's the only dance she wants to do. Well, so that actually makes me think, so that leads into sort of one of the other questions I had written down because it was so noticeable, was that she does have her solo when she is dancing as the Black Swan. And Fucking I incredible. Like it's so good. I think this was probably one of the moments where she is uh, like metaphorically like reborn as the black swan on stage for everyone to see and it's like one of the best dance scenes in the whole film her eyes the makeup the aesthetic that she has every time she flaps her wings more wings come on chills i was fucking yeah i literally had my fucking hair was Goose standing up when i saw or, that shit. Or, or swan bumps swan, <laughs> swan bumps 
That sounds like a really bad progressive I rock know, band. Right? Uh, so. uh, yeah, let's start let's start our prog rock band, Swan Bumps. We are <laughs> Swan Bumps. One, two, three, four. So, yeah, we are Swan Bumps. One, two, three, four. <laughs> nah, see, we won't even do one, two, three, four. We'd be like, three, seven, five, six. Yeah, like, three, <laughs> seven, five, six. <laughs> 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 13, 15. <laughs> 13, 15 oh, notes. Let's go. Let's do some seven, eights. See, that's <laughs> what we... <laughs> it's like, what are you even doing? I want some eight fifteenths right now. Yeah. Yeah, let's just let's get with the nonsense numbers. <laughs> let's just make any roll musical dice. sense. There's let's not even divisible roll by dice four. And just put that together. Anyway. So um <laughs> wait, but but there's more though. There's more. Well yeah. What was your question? Well, the thing is uh, that she so one, she was basically reborn on stage as the black swan, because you get to see the feathers grow from her arm as she's doing the dance. And then her final uh, pose at the end. Her wings are fully formed, and she ends up being the black swan. And from that point on, she isn't anything else besides that. And so really what what it was getting at was, did she actually get what she wanted? Like, did she get to that perfection, and did she do the ultimate sacrifice, which is just killing yourself? Because that's what the character does in the play or in the production. It mirrors so perfectly, and there's so much sacrifice that is done that she did the ultimate sacrifice to do the part that she was born to do. And she looks happy. Like she's laying there dying and she Smiling. feels like she's got it. Like she made it. Uh, it's 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 literally the death of innocence in this moment. It's literally her achieving the adulthood that she wants. She is she has been craving this adulthood the whole time. Like Mila Kunis's character is adulthood like in in metaphor simply because she handles her darkness well. Whereas, whereas Natalie Portman's cannot handle her darkness. She, and a matter of fact, it's displayed many times in the film where she separates herself from it. She actively avoids it and stays in childhood. Although it is partially at the fault of her mother, but it's seen in many scenes where she's sitting apart from all the other dancers. She doesn't hang out with them. She stays away from them. She doesn't want to be like in that world and whatnot. There's just a lot in this movie. Yeah. I'm I'm actually really happy that it got nominated for a lot of awards. Like the fact that a lot of people saw it and they were like, Yeah, this movie's fucking incredible, it just makes me happy. Uh one of the other things that I noticed while watching it was this idea that uh so so there's a whole theme that occurred in film that sort of showed up around the seventies and kind of went away for a bit because of the feminist movement that had shown up, but then reemerged in movies later on in the like late 2000s which was the idea that any woman in film who started to be sexually progressive and went into maturity was in some way punished it's the same way that they do uh with slasher films anyone who has sex dies yeah and so in this way because she had reached this sort of maturity out of her like small childhood that she was forced into like in her late adult life she was basically punished when she got to the point where she wanted to be and wasn't able to live her life after that she only had that brief moment on stage there's just so much. This movie is so, a can I mean, of worms. I, I mean, at this point, I feel like I've said everything that I want to say about Black Swan. Right. To be, to be quite honest. Um, but it's a fantastic film, though. So then what were your favorite scenes from both films? Uh, the, just the entire final dance as the Black Swan, how menacing she looks, how like chaotic and beautiful it is from black swan that that scene really hit me and then in suspiria i would probably say when the uh crone witch is like then check out the living dead and her friend just comes in total zombie just trying to stab her <clears throat> black swan is really hard to for me to pick one scene from that movie because so many of the scenes are so integral to like the whole point of the movie you know to the initial like moral or the theme however you want to go along with it. But I would say that probably one of my favorite ones is, is probably the final dance. Like, like Merz said, it's really iconic and it really is a change of like looks and whatnot with the wings and the, um, Oh my gosh. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about is the use of mirrors in this movie. Constantly, constantly we're, we have, we have mirrors that show Natalie Portman or Nina's characters, uh, transformation slowly over the course of the film. And then it's very ironic that she dies to a mirror Right, yeah, she, she stabs herself with a piece of glass. I just think that that's a, that's a funny little thing to point out. It's, uh, a, it's a small piece of horror that yeah. people are afraid of. Like, there's the old folklore stories of a doppelganger that was around to kill you, and mm -hmm. it, it does get you that, like, dark version of you will take over. See, I'm glad I mentioned it. Now I got some cool new stuff to look up. Anyway, uh, favorite scene from Suspiria, probably the entire opening of that movie is so fucking good. 
Yeah, I was actually going to say the the opening of Suspiria was probably my favorite. There was this one particular moment, and it's so small, but it's when she's leaving um, the airport, I believe, and she's looking at the sliding glass doors, the automatic ones, and as they open, the music starts, that like eerie, twinkly music that's consistent throughout the movie, and when they close, it stops. And it continues that as people go out and in throughout the the airport. As soon as she's out there, the music's on and it's going. The use of silence in these in that movie is yeah. really good. I mean, we when we talk about what th- what things movies do well, we should also talk about. I mean, what movies do? We should also talk about what they don't do. And Suspiria is one of those ones where it doesn't have constant sound all the time. There's like a there's like a weird breath that like tries to keep you in this atmosphere. And then I think, yeah. Probably the ending scene from Black Swan is my favorite scene because, uh, you know, throughout the whole movie, she's really striving to find this perfection in her performance, which in reality is unattainable because, you know, you can't define perfection, really. It's different for everybody that perceives it. But, um, you know, in a sense, in the end, I feel like she really did get as close to perfection as she possibly could. I mean, she did beautiful on stage. But not only that, she was completely authentic to the part she was playing because she really did experience the role that she put herself in for this for this performance. And, you know, she did end up killing herself in the end, which is, I think, about as perfect as you can get. I mean, that's genuine. It's her only dance and she kills it and she kills herself. She kills it. Yeah, (laughs) she kills it. You know, fun fact about it. But do you remember that part where he's like, would you fuck this girl? And the dude scoffs. That's Natalie Portman's husband. Now, 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 I mean, now they weren't married then, but now they are. And she was like, that guy's a pretty good liar. If you think about it. (laughs) It's like, shit. Yeah, I would. (laughs) She was not going to say that. She won't like me if I say that. Uh, Yeah. That was, that was also a weird moment. Cause he's like almost Uh, trying to force an answer out of him. Yeah. And he's like sitting there like, dude, we can't say shit like that. Yeah. yeah, Like I'm not going to. Yeah, what the fuck? No. Yeah, yeah. He just like kind of waves it off. Like I'm not gonna answer that. That's a weird. What moment. was no? I guess your favorite scene. Uh, Suspiria was definitely when she gets murdered. When the old witch gets murdered. But also, uh, for some reason, I really like the scene where the blind uh, piano player was just like, fuck this place. Like, you guys are fucking whack. And, like, just ends up, like, <laughs> leaving. And he's like, I'm fucking blind, not deaf. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's, yeah, like, yeah, fucking yeah, yelling at him. <laughs> so yeah, fucking yeah. funny. That and he goes funny. out. Yes, tell them. And then the other part, I mean, like, Black or Black Swan has that part where it's just like, I have a life. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> he gets up in the middle of playing and is like, I got a life. Like, go, f- don't work too hard. Like, just go home. <laughs> Um, for the black, for black swan, it was definitely her performance as the black swan, because that goes into like another piece of filmmaking. Like that's one of those moments where I bet when they were filming it and it was finished that nobody said anything because it's just so good. You get a combination of like how she's doing, like that must've been a really crucial moment for Natalie Portman as an actor to get into that role, to be able to do something and then to see all of the emotion coming from her face. And then you have all of the elements stacked on top of it. You had good cinematography. You had them like going around her, capturing movement that you don't usually see for dancing. You usually only have one view and that's it, like the view from the audience. But in this case, it was following her around and spinning. And so you got a bunch of different views of the way she was dancing, as well as like her costume and makeuping. So it was just all a really good scene. That's the thing with the cinematography of Black Swan. You're with the dancers there. You're pretty much their partner or tangoing with them. You see all their movements, you see their feet, you see their hips and everything. Um, but I, I believe in that moment when she transitions into the Black Swan, I was like, wow, if this didn't get nominated for an Oscar, I don't know what the fuck would. That has and to that, be the moment. Yeah. No, that moment, I was literally like, if this didn't, I looked it up and she got it. And I was like, perfect. That's all I wanted after viewing that scene. Do you guys have any other final thoughts? I have a quote that was not in the movie but should have been in the movie for Black Swan. It was in the script, but it was cut. It was by the director. It is the most... This will probably hit Justine more than anybody, though. Mm. What we do is beautiful, but fleeting. Dance is not immortalized like music, poetry, or art. It doesn't grow old in museums and churches. It lives for now. For this moment only. And this is your moment. Oof. I feel that. 
Shit, I, ooh, that's some, some swan bumps. Yeah. Because <laughs> really, if you've ever actually been through a performance, it's a lot different than seeing dance recorded, like on a television, in a music video. Seeing dance live is a whole experience, and it really can't be replicated on a video. It's something that only exists that one moment you see it. And even if you happen to see that dance on one night, it could be a completely different feeling the next night, you know? And so it really is unique one-of-a-kind experience i can't believe that was cut from the film yeah so was this supposed to be a moment where the director speaks to nina before going on he speaks to her in between this is between the white swan and the black swan yeah when she falls why would you cut that that's so good it it is but it might be like a little contradictory to his character it might make him more likable maybe the director doesn't want him to be likable it would also it's a great quote though it would put emphasis on him instead of her too yeah so i okay yeah i can see why i I feel it it. i feel that but that was a hard one to cut though i bet that's probably because they didn't want to make the reason that she did so well him yeah they wanted it to be that yeah. she came through and did it all on her yeah. own. It's about her journey, and the other people are just the the factors that play into that more so. Yeah, that's a great fucking quote to end on. All right, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I just want to remind everybody we're super easy to find on all of the streaming services. You can just go and look us up at Bringing Down the Grindhouse. You can just Google that, and it'll take, a, take you to the website as well as all the streaming pages. We're also on all of these social media sites. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at BDTGH underscore podcast. And you'll be able to find all of our posts there. Feel free to leave us comments, send us emails, recommendations. We always take uh, listener recommendations for new movies, and we're all um, planning to put it onto the schedule. Uh, but thanks so much <laughs> for discussing these news with me tonight. I hope you guys have a good night. I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Justine. Night. Night. Thank you very much. Good night. Yeah, so what was your point of view of this movie, guys? Mm-hmm.